0: Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. Hi, I'm uh, Carson, and today we're going to be continuing our study on the book of Acts. And we'll specifically be looking at today Acts chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to... Acts chapter 5. Uh, let's just see who brought their Bibles today or their own Bibles or, you know, whatever. Okay, awesome. That's great. So, uh, yeah, we'll be looking at Acts chapter 5, uh, specifically verses 27 through 32. Um, and as we look at those verses, we're really going to be focusing on two things. And those two things are, what does it really look like and mean to be obedient to God with the second being, what is the main purpose of the Holy Spirit, and what is his role in my life today? Now, before we get into those verses, though, let me just kind of bring us up to date on a few things that have occurred in chapter 5, so when we get to verse 27, we can understand what's going on. Um, If you look At the book of Acts, we see that the apostles are going around, that they're healing people, that they're telling people about who Jesus is, and the people are really responding to it. But the priests have some jealousy that comes about, and so they take the apostles and throw them in prison. But while they're in prison, the angel of the Lord comes and sets them free. And they, instead of running away, they go right back to the temple and tell people about who Jesus is. Upon seeing this, the Pharisees bring the apostles back before them and begin to question them. And so this dialogue between the Pharisees and the apostles is what we're going to be looking at today. And so what we're going to do is read Acts chapter 5, verses 27 through 28. And this is what it says. When they had brought them, they stood them before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, "We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, and yet you had filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and intended to bring this man's blood upon us." Okay, so they leveled two accusations against the apostles. First, they say we told you not to teach; we've told you not to do this, and yet you continue to do so. And secondly they tell them that you're telling people we're the ones responsible for Jesus' death, which they were. If we look at Matthew chapter 27, we see that Jesus stands before Pontius Pilate and that Pilate can't find anything wrong with him. So he washes his hands and says, this man's blood shall not be upon me. And then it says next that all the crowd said, Let his blood be upon us. So the apostles have every right to tell the people that the priests are the ones that are responsible for Jesus' death. And so those are the two accusations that the Pharisees tell the apostles about. And so now that we've heard from the Pharisees, let's see what Peter has to say. Peter has spoken several times before. He's spoken in Solomon's colonnade. He's spoken in the upper room. He's spoken in from the Sanhedrin. And now he'll speak again. And starting in verse 29, this is what Peter has to say. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand. As a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel for forgiveness of sins. Okay, so he says a couple of things there. First off, he says that we don't listen to you. You're not the one in charge of us. That we listen to God and what he has told us to do, we will accomplish. And so he tells them, you're not our authority, God is. And then next... He gives a small statement, and within this small statement is enclosed two truths. And here are the two truths. First, he says, The God of our Father. So, by saying that, saying the God of our Father raised Jesus from the dead, he's telling the priest that this God is the same God that you claim to worship. He's the God of Abraham, of Isaac. And of Jacob. And then he goes and says that this God is the one that raised Jesus from the dead. And if we look earlier, we see that when the Pharisees have a chance to talk about Jesus, they they don't even use his name. They just call him this man, as if he's nothing. But when Peter gets the chance, when he gets the chance, he uses God Jesus' name. And he also makes sure the Pharisees know that they're the ones responsible for what happened to him. And then we see that Peter goes on, and he mentions two titles that Jesus has. He calls him Prince, and then he calls him Savior. So not only is he a ruler, but he's also our Savior as well. And in doing this, Peter is telling the Pharisees to their face, He's saying, you killed Jesus, but God raised him from the dead. You crucified him, but God exalted him to the highest place. You sought to stop God's plan, but he himself stepped in against you. God's not on your side. He's on ours, and we do what he says. And so he calls him Prince and Savior. But then right after that, there are two words that appear. He says he's prince and savior. And then the two words, to grant. So he's prince and savior to grant what? And it says it. It says to grant repentance to Israel for forgiveness of sins. And when we hear that at first, it may be a little confusing. Because you're like, you know, I wasn't born in Israel. I I thought, you know, this was for everyone, not just people that were in Israel. I don't understand. What is he talking about? And what Peter is saying, for us to understand it, is we have to know that in the Bible it talks about Israel in many forms. Sometimes it'll talk about Israel as the nation of Israel. But then sometimes it'll talk about it as true Israel. Those that follow God and follow Jesus. And that's what Peter is talking about here. And Paul, in his letters, talks about the church, us. And he says that we are Israel. He doesn't say we're like Israel. He doesn't say we're new Israel. He says we are Israel. So what does that mean for us? It means who are God's people? We are. Who are the children of? Of Abraham we are who are the people that God calls to follow him we are all those years ago when Abraham looked up one of the stars he saw was lit for you that is what Peter is saying and so he pulls all these things and says all these things to the Pharisees but then he has one last thing To tell them. And this is where we'll be spending most of our time today. And this is found in verse 32. And this is what Peter says. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. Okay. So the Holy Spirit is given to those who obey him so what does peter mean by this and i think for us to understand it we need to look at two things we need to look at what does it really mean to be obedient to god and secondly we need to look at what is the role of the holy spirit in our life and um you know let's talk about obedience first but before we do let me just preface it with this um We are not saved by what we do or what we can accomplish or because we did a lot of good things or because we happen to not do a lot of bad ones. We're only saved by one thing, and that's by God's grace and His mercy and the blood of His Son. But when and since. We have made a commitment to follow him, to accept his grace and his mercy in the blood of his son. Since we have done that, we're making a commitment to be obedient to him, to live for him. Christianity is not just showing up on Sunday one hour a week when we feel like it. It is a continual journey with him is a continual commitment to him and it's about being obedient to the one who died for us and jesus shows us through his word the importance and the priority that obedience to him and commitment should have in our daily walk and there's many places in which jesus speaks about this uh, there's one in luke chapter 8 where Jesus is teaching. And his mother and brother try to approach him, but there's so many people around Jesus that they can't reach him. And so someone comes up to Jesus and says, your mother and your brother are here. And Jesus replies and says, my mother and my brother are those who hear my word and do it. He's saying it's not about just hearing the word but it's about it transforming our life so that we might live for him. Another time in Luke chapter 6, we see that Jesus has these people following, but they're not living the way in which they should. So Jesus says to them, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but not do what I ask? What he's saying is, You're calling me Lord like I'm ruler over your life but you don't act as if I'm Lord over your life. Christianity is not, well, now I'm a Christian. I guess that's it. It's about a continual commitment to him. Again, in Luke chapter 5, Jesus gives an amazing illustration about obedience. And he talks about this old wine, and he talks about new wine, And he says that I have come to bring new wine and to bring a new wineskin. And, you know, I think for us to fully understand what Jesus is getting at is we need to look at someone from the Old Testament, named King David. And in Psalms 119, King David is going through some rough stuff. And he says, I feel like an old, dried-up wineskin. I think a lot of us feel that way even today, but Jesus says, "I came to bring new wine, to bring a new life for you." He came to bring a new wine and a new wine skin, but to revitalize the life we have now. But even in Him saying that, there's something else that we need to understand. And that is that the old and new don't mix. That Christianity is not a patched up version of your life. It's not where we take the parts we like and then we forget about the rest. It's about living for him. Jesus didn't come to change you partially. He came to change you completely so that we might live for him. That he might bring us new life and a new wine. But being obedient to him is great, but how are we supposed to do it? You know, I think Jesus expressed it to us in an amazing way, but also quite simple. And that's where he talked about the greatest commandment is to love God and to love others. And there's a place in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. And there, I think it shows us the priority that love should have in our life. And in those verses, it says, that if I can speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but have not loved, I am nothing. It says that I could prophesy, that I could know all mysteries, that I could have achieved all wisdom, that I could have the faith to move mountains. But if I have not loved, I am nothing. He says you could sell all your possessions, give them to the poor, and offer your body as a sacrifice, but you have not loved, you're nothing. Nothing. You understand that we could know all mysteries. We could achieve all knowledge. We could have enough faith to move mountains. But without love, it's garbage. And many of us will sometimes say, you know, there's plenty of people that I love. I have family members that love me and I I love them. I have friends and family that uh, take care of me and they're always there for me. And, And I love them. And I have people I work with that are there for me. And I love them. And I tend to treat people pretty good. So that's what I'm doing then. But here's the thing. That is precisely the love he's not talking about. Because Jesus speaks about that type of love in Matthew chapter 5. And what does he say about it? He says... You love someone that loves you? What kind of reward do you expect? For even the worst sinners love those who love them. Jesus is calling us to love those that love us, but he's calling us to go even beyond that, to love those that don't treat us right or that are mean. That are different. I don't always take care of us in the way that we expect them to. He's calling us to love even them. Not because it's easy, but because He knows it's hard. Love can't take a back seat in our life because that which Jesus and God have deemed the most important thing, we do cannot regulate. We can't regulate it to secondary importance in our life. It doesn't work that way. And I know that loving some people in our lives, you know, I don't think Jesus is telling us we have to become their best friend. I don't think Jesus is telling us we have to seek them out every day. I think what he is saying is that when you encounter them, you're called to love even him and i know for some of us this is hard but see this is the best part we don't do this alone we have his holy spirit we have god living in us as a believer taking up residency in us and what is his main purpose that is to help us to guide us And to show us how to become more like him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it talks about this. And it says that who can know the mind of God? And it says no man can. But then it says there is one who is able. It says it's his Holy Spirit that dwells in us that lives in us and that guides us how to become more like Jesus. But so often we take the Holy Spirit for granted and we shouldn't. In the Old Testament, there was a time where Jesus, God's presence was amongst his people. And because of the rebellion, he removed his presence from them. But in Ezekiel chapter 36, he gave a promise And in that promise, he said that one day I will make my presence, my dwelling amongst my people again. We live in fulfillment of that promise that his Holy Spirit lives in us, that it dwells in us and that it seeks to guide us in a way that we might become more like him. I know that many of us feel like sometimes that the Holy Spirit is distant, though. That maybe it's not close, or that we feel like we go through some tough stuff. I feel like how could the Holy Spirit be there? How could God be with me through things like this? I feel like I just don't feel Him sometimes. And uh, I think the answer to that is uh, simple, purposeful, and far-reaching. But the answer doesn't come from me. It comes from Jacob. From the Old Testament. In Genesis chapter 28. Jacob's in this place where he thought God would never be. And he has an encounter with God. And then Jacob says the words that we should never forget. He says Surely the Lord was here, and I did not know it. He's always with us. He never abandons us. We're the ones that neglect to see him. We're the ones that miss him. And every time as he's with us, he's always saying the same thing. To us, he says, Whom shall I send? And all he's ever wanted us to say is, Here I am, Lord. Send me. Just because the Holy Spirit's with us doesn't mean that we can't tell him no. He's just here to guide us. And what he longs for us to do is to Allow him to guide our steps. We normally um, end in a prayer, but today we're just going to end a little differently. Um, We're going to sing a song. And uh, I often sing this song, and it's not because maybe I like the tune, but it's because the words um, I think are really amazing and great. And often when I sing it, I sing it because this is the way I want to live, and a lot of times I don't. But I ask that maybe if we could just all stand up today and just sing this song. And as we sing it, I hope that there's iron in your words. Oh e Prayer partners down here that would really love to pray and to talk with you. And if you have any needs, or there's any way we can help you, you can go to the next two step booth, or some of us will be over here at the hello area. Just remember, we serve the one that's already won the battle. All that He desires for us to do is walk with Him. As you go out today, I hope. That's what we'll all do. Thank you. To learn more about us, visit
1: www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.